Welcome to the American Thoracic Society podcast on clinical medical ethics education. My name is Liz Sontag. I'm a pulmonary and critical care fellow at the University of North Carolina and a recent graduate of the McLean Center's Clinical Medical Ethics Fellowship at the University of Chicago. I'm joined today by Dr. Mark Siegler. Dr. Siegler is the founding director of the McLean Center for Clinical Medical Ethics. He has published more than 200 journal articles, 50 book chapters, and six books. He's a wonderful teacher and a cherished mentor. Dr. Siegler, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. So I was wondering if you could first tell our listeners just a little bit about the McLean Center. The McLean Center for Clinical and Medical Ethics um, uh, was started in the mid-1970s and actually developed the field of clinical medical ethics. Um, We we wrote the early grants, the early papers um, uh, on on clinical medical ethics. Um, Since uh, the early 1980s, we have have offered um, fellowship programs in clinical medical ethics and by now have trained uh, more than 400 such fellows. Um, along the way, um, we've, we've uh, focused on such developments um, as um, uh, developing consultation uh, services and training, writing a lot of the early articles on ethics consultation. Uh, we uh, created uh, the, the field of uh, research ethics consultation um, in a 1989 article. Uh, we were involved a lot in the empirical turn in ethics research from just analytic research uh, to database research. Um, and we've, we've kept a focus throughout on the importance and centrality of the doctor-patient relationship, and of medical decision-making. Great. And what I thought was great about my fellowship experience is that the fellows ranged from residents to attendings, representing a number of medical specialties, and even included some anthropologists, chaplains, nurses, lawyers. Tell me a little bit about how you choose the fellowship class and who you want to teach clinical medical ethics to. Well, I think our primary uh, target audience um, has always been physicians. Um, Mm -hmm. And about, uh, I would say about 70% of our uh, fellowship trainees have been physicians. But we've always strived for what you described, and that is the heterogeneity of the uh, the trainees. We've, We've tried to include among the trainees other health professionals, uh, especially nurses, but including physical therapists, um, uh, social workers, occasional uh, attorneys who who work in the medical field. Um, We've also included, as you mentioned, uh, PhDs, uh, some in philosophy, some in theology, um, some in anthropology, uh, to complement uh, the clinicians. Um, among the clinicians, we, we, we think we're, uh, we're unusual in that we try to include 
many clinical specialties in each class. So we have internal medicine, surgery, pediatric, obstetrics, psychiatry in each of our classes. Um, and some years we add uh, neurology, uh, radiology, um, let me see what else, uh, family medicine, um, due to the mix. So it's, it's an unusual type of class in, in which you have different medical specialties working together and also interacting with other health professionals and, and people interested in the health fields uh, coming at it from an academic perspective. Yeah, it's great. And then how have you seen um, the approach to medical ethics kind of change over time? You've been doing this for a long time, and I imagine at, at some point it was less accepted as a real area of research, and how is it seen now? Well, uh, I, I think that when, when I started in the field, which goes back to the late 1960s, early 1970s, um, uh, medical ethics was, uh, was dominated by bioethicists, um, often philosophers and theologians and legal scholars, some social scientists. Um, physicians themselves were, were, were not very much involved in the field. And indeed, I, I think in the early years, there was a certain resistance among physicians uh, to participate because they viewed uh, the discipline of ethics and, and, and the practitioner of ethics to be um, interested in changing or reforming medicine. Um, and so in, in the early 1970s, um, when, when our group named the field clinical medical ethics, our goal was to um, increase the involvement and participation uh, and indeed the leadership of clinicians in the field of medical ethics. And, and I think that one thing we've seen over the last 40 plus years has been increasing involvement uh, of clinicians uh, in the field. Um, in fact, I, I would say that for clinicians today, applying clinical medical ethics standards in patient care is no longer an elective matter, but in fact has become part of the standard of care in the United States and is required legally and professionally. For example, in caring for patients, it's expected in everyday practice that clinicians will apply such standards as speaking truthfully to their patients, um, negotiate informed consent or decisions with their patients, will always be protecting patient confidentiality, will occasionally be in the um, role of assessing the patient's decisional capacity, and when necessary and appropriate, will work with surrogates or proxies uh, to reach clinical decisions for the patient. Absolutely, and it's actually tested on our board exams now, making sure we understand ethical principles. Yes. Do you think, do you think that um, the, the people tasked 
to teach medical ethics should be formally trained in philosophy? Do you think that's necessary? Uh, I, I personally do not think that's necessary. I think they should have a certain amount of philosophical background, um, but I, I don't think they need master's degrees or mm-hmm. PhDs in philosophy, um, but especially uh, that would, would apply to clinical ethicists, which has been the group that I've been most interested in working with and teaching. Um, uh, I think they, they have to know certain basic information about philosophy and, and, um, uh, and ethical principles, um, but, uh, but they don't have to. But they are fundamentally clinicians who are applying the ethical work in their everyday practice. You know, rather than being philosophers or, or, uh, uh, or theologians or humanists uh, who are uh, teaching their knowledge to clinicians. Um, I, I think that the clinical ethical practice um, relies on basic philosophical principles, but you don't have to be a philosopher to be a clinical ethicist. Here at the University of North Carolina, we just developed curriculum for fourth-year medical students to take part in a clinical medical ethics rotation. Um, During their one-month rotation, they'll be shadowing ethics consults, attending ethics committee meetings, doing literature reviews and case reviews, um, and actually they will be asked to purchase the book you wrote, Clinical Ethics, A Practical Approach to Ethical Decisions in Clinical Medicine. Um, What I love about this um, course is that each of the students have told me what they plan to go into you know, next year as residents, so there'll be some individualization of their coursework based on that. Um, And the the goal is really to take what they've learned in the first and second years of med school in those ethics courses and apply it to bedside medicine. So can you tell us a little bit about um, your book, Clinical Ethics, A Practical Approach to Ethical Decisions in Clinical Medicine, and how you see it being used? I can, but but I I would actually like to start by saying something that relates to what you've just said. Um, Sure. It it is my view that the teaching of clinical ethics um, ought to be continuous, coordinated, and to the extent possible, clinically based. Um, And and, and that the goal, the goal of of learning clinical ethics and really the principal goal of teaching clinical ethics is to improve the quality of patient care in terms both of the process and the outcome of care. And so the the book that you're referring to, Clinical Ethics, uh, was first published in 1982. Um, It was written by Al Johnson, um, whose background uh, was in theology, but who uh, had been very active on the wards of, of hospitals, uh, Bill Winslade, um, who was trained um, as, as an attorney, uh, but also had a PhD in, as I remember, in philosophy and was a practicing psychoanalyst. Uh, and by me, uh, I was the, um, the, the practicing physician uh, in, in the, among the three writers. And um, 
we wrote the book first in 1982, and its eighth edition came out in 2015. Um, it, it's a book that's um, uh, introduced an, an idea about the four-box method of uh, medical decision-making, um, and each of the four chapters is devoted to one of these four boxes. The four boxes are medical indications, patient preferences, quality of life, and what we called contextual features. This had to do with uh, the economics of healthcare, legal aspects of healthcare, uh, the, um, uh, the, the, the nature of the practice, whether it was hospital-based or office-based practice, um, and clinical research were all part of the contextual features. So um, um, it's a book that uh, has been translated into eight or nine languages. Like someone approached me yesterday uh, asking if they could uh, talk to um, McGraw-Hill about translating it uh, into Ukrainian, which is wow. uh, a language wow. that has not yet been translated into. Um, and it's been, it's been used uh, widely both in the U.S. and worldwide. Yeah, I'm really excited to, to start our course and then to apply a lot of the things I was taught in my McLean Fellowship, but also to be able to use this book as a guide for students. Um, I think they're very excited, and we're really excited as well here at UNC. Well, I'm, I'm delighted to hear it, and it will keep my kids uh, in new shoes for a while. <laughs> Good. Um, so, Dr. Siegler, I'm, I'm so glad I got a chance to chat with you, and I think your insights are, are very valuable. Um, as we wrap up, just tell me what's so important and special to you about clinical medical ethics. Well, as I, as I said earlier, um, it, clinical medical ethics is a new field um, that we helped develop and name in the 1970s, uh, and it aims to assist patients, families, doctors, and other health professionals to reach good clinical decisions by taking into account both the specific clinical situation as well as the patient's values and preferences. Uh, it has become part of the daily practice of medicine, and, and that, that's what I am so delighted about. Um, doctors may not even realize that, that they're applying clinical medical ethics in a way that, um, what was it said in some old French play that people were talking, were speaking prose all their life without knowing they were speaking prose. People are doing clinical ethics in their routine encounters with patients and in, and in teaching environments in their routine encounters with their colleagues and their students um, and, and their residents. So um, we're delighted to have been, been, uh, been part of the process of developing the field, delighted that we've trained over 400 fellows, delighted that the number of fellows starting with us in July will be the largest class of fellows we've trained yet. We're anticipating uh, between 35 and 45 new fellows, probably wow. um, 10 or 15 coming from overseas. 
Um, we, we have, we've just received 16 applications from nine different universities in China, for example, um, to uh, attend our program in the coming year. We won't be able to accept nearly that many, uh, just in terms of maintaining a reasonable size of our program. But, um, but, but that, that's been very helpful to us. And then uh, I, I think the last thing I'll say is that uh, this past year, uh, I, I wrote a book with Laura Roberts, who is the chair of psychiatry at Stanford, uh, which was a summary of my work called Clinical Medical Ethics, uh, the landmark works of Mark Siegler. And, and that book has much, much of the history of clinical ethics and, and many of the specific uh, areas and fields that clinical ethics deals with. Because clinical ethics, uh, you know, un, unlike perhaps uh, philosophical bioethics, uh, really does focus not, not just on clinical ethics in general, but recognizes the specificity of, of ethics in internal medicine, ethics in surgery, uh, pediatric ethics, psychiatric ethics, um, reproductive and, and gynecologic ethics, um, that, that there are issues in each of these fields that, that is unique to the field. Indeed, within surgery itself, if you think about it, um, we, we have specialty areas, for example, in transplant ethics and in, um, and in, in, in ethics and trauma. Um, this year, we're doing a, a series of lectures on violence, trauma, and trauma surgical uh, ethics. Um, so, so, so clinical ethics is a growing field, and my hope over the next... Um, a decade or two decades, is that the field continues to expand and continues to be applied on a regular basis, just the way North Carolina is starting this wonderful fourth-year course for its medical students. Great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Siegler. Thank you for all of the work you've done and continue to do, and thank you for chatting with us. And I look forward to reading your latest book and chatting with you again soon. Dr. Sontag, it's been a pleasure to join you this, today, and um, uh, I apologize if I've carried on too much about clinical ethics. <laughs> no, it was wonderful to chat with you. Thank you so much, Dr. Siegler. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you.